You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. We're going to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We see Paul's heart for a church plant, and would this be our heart for connection and for sacred mission for all of us in the room? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Verse 2, it's in the New Testament, so it's about two-thirds through the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 2, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. Paul intentionally, see how he, sa- he says there, I decided? It's not like he just came in and was like, well, hey, let me just see what happens here. He's like, no, wh- I'm going to decide here that when I go into this place, I'm going to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The person of Jesus and what Jesus did. His crucifixion, his death that bought us life. His death that paid the penalty for our sin, the sin of all y'all, all of us. Unfortunately, though, the drift of so many churches is to drift away. And this is why I think the Lord had Paul write this, is so that we could come back to it and be directed in it. But so many churches, what can happen is that it is truly embraced in the generation of that church plant. So there were incredible churches moving through our area following the railroads coming through in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. There were incredible churches being planted, making much of Jesus. I've, I read, I was reading the history of my town, and, uh, and in 1898, they had this Jesus-centered VBS that 77 kids were a part of this VBS in 1898. And it was truly embraced in one generation, but then, if we aren't careful, it becomes assumed in the next generation. And when it's assumed in the next generation, in the third generation, it's rejected. Now, people can still be a part of these gatherings and tradition and many things play into that, Um, but church can become, this is the drift and the default if we aren't intentional like Paul, is that a church can become about morality. Hey, let's just make sure we're really good people. Let's make sure we're not in debt. Let's make sure we have good marriages. Let's give everybody good principles for living. And let's just, you know, who wants bad neighbors? So let's get all of our neighbors here so they're good people living around us. And uh, let's just look strong and have it all together. And Paul instead brings Jesus into it and makes it about Jesus instead. He says no to the lesser things. And yes to making Jesus the center. And then look how Paul refers to himself in verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul's a hot mess. Like that's how he describes how he was with you. You know, like if I call Jonathan on our way, you know, making the drive back to central Iowa, and I'm like, Jonathan, I was just really afraid. And I felt really weak and I was like trembling the whole time. And uh, I just, man, I'm sorry, I'm just a hot mess. 
And, uh, and that's how Paul is actually communicating to the church in Corinth when he was with them. I think verse 4, though, is so fascinating. He says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. So what usually happens to me when I feel weak, fear, and trembling is I, I just kind of curl up in a little ball in the corner, right? Paul is feeling weak, fear, and trembling. And then he says, and my speech, while I was proclaiming to you, feeling that way was not me sharing anything wise to you. So I love that Paul's heart of knowing nothing except Jesus and then seeing the role he plays in it, is it doesn't make him coward. It actually makes him confident to share my message that's not using words of wisdom, but Paul can say this, but it's in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. If this message is going to change anything, change anybody, it's not going to be because I figured out a really cute way to say it. It's going to be because you are beholding the one that I'm pointing to in my weakness. And the strength of the one that I'm pointing to is working a power that is changing the room. When there's a clear focus on Jesus and him crucified, the Holy Spirit jumps on board. The Holy Spirit's like, I'll back this up. This is what I'm about. The third person of the Trinity directs through conviction, through opening eyes, directs us to the Son. And the Son is here to do the will of the Father who so loves the world that he's sending him for us and our salvation. See, the more, what I want to propose to us, propose to the room, is that the more we see the gospel, the more we want to see the gospel go out. Because as we truly see Jesus, and as we're truly saying, hey, this isn't me thinking that I'm all smart and I figured it out and I can tell you the answers to life. This is us seeing the one who has come to live that in our place. Jesus Christ and him crucified and what he's doing. And then that is being demonstrated by the spirit and his power. Fourth century Christian leader Augustine said this about the Holy Spirit and his life in the church. What the soul is in our body. And this is a little morbid, but I think many of us have experienced this, where you know a person, and then unfortunately that person dies. And you go to see them, and you know that's their body, but they're not there anymore. Right? It's like their soul isn't there. It's like a shell. And this is the picture that Augustine is giving us in the 4th century. What the soul is in our body, he says the Holy Spirit is in the body of Christ the thing that makes it come alive, which is the church. And that's the role that the Spirit enlivens us as we are truly being the church. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We uh, drove up here yesterday, and we left about noon from central Iowa because each town, probably in South Dakota too, each town has their yearly celebration. You know, so no matter when it is, sometime in the summer, it's like parade, fireworks, 
trucker tractor pole, you know, all sorts of the really great things of life, you know. And, um, and so we, uh, we did a big float in the parade, and we were, it was exciting to just have, have us all there. We were handing out, uh, throwing candy. I bought 35 pounds of candy, thinking like, like literally 35 pounds when you're carrying it, and we didn't even make it halfway through the parade. Like it was an extravaganza of sugar, you know. Um, but then we, um, we were handing out bottles of water, too, that had an invitation on the outside, and we had three people from our team as we were handing out water. And unfortunately, we only made about halfway through. We, I totally misjudged all of the, the volume and everything. But, um, but as we were handing water, uh, my wife really just felt strongly, Patty felt strongly that it was like, she's giving, like she was giving them water, but what she felt like God was communicating to her is like, these people don't even know that they're thirsty. Uh, then you are giving them such a simple thing and they're receiving it like happy <laughs> like they're they're happy to receive it and she was like this is what god's called us to be here is not a sophisticated people but a people who are simply pointing to jesus and they don't even know that they need him until until they see him and then they realize how thirsty they've been for him all this time. And two other people on our team were feeling very similar things uh, from other areas. So this is Paul's posture of his heart, Jesus. We're desiring for this to be our heart's posture as we plant as well, to be a people that aren't looking at our accomplishments, to be a people that aren't looking at our successes. For so many of us, it's actually on the other side, to be people who aren't looking at our failures, to be people who aren't looking at our past, to, but to actually be people who are looking at Christ and are looking to him. As we look to Christ, we think, we speak, and we proclaim. We look to him, and as Paul looked to him, that made him speak, made him communicate, made him move towards those who are next to him, move towards those around him. And so what do we proclaim? What do we speak? We can't be we can't be other, anything other than clear, and that can seem childish to be like, oh, you've got to communicate this like you would to a four-year-old. And it's like, well, it's a 40-year-old. But it's like, no, we need to be so clear because the stakes are so high. We cannot confuse the message of eternal salvation uh, with clouding it with a lot of other things. Because if it's clouded, it, it can't be clearly responded to. And thankfully, Paul took that opportunity again and, and again to say, okay, here's what we're talking about. Here is the thing, okay? So if you could turn to Ephesians 2 now, we're going to say, here is the thing. This is what we're talking about. This is why Paul is devoting his life to it. That's why we're devoting our life to it. That's why we are in the room is Ephesians 2 is summarizing this for us. So, so keep going to the right. Uh, you'll see Galatians, then Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you hit those, go back a little ways. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at, now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom all once lived, all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
So we don't like put a sign out and say, if you need Jesus, please come in. If life is not working out for you, please come in. This is so crystal clear that it's like, no, we are all dead. Dead people can't rescue themselves. Our sin has led us all to be completely separated from God, and there's way more going on. The prince of the power of the air, we have an adversary. If sometimes it's like, man, it just feels like life is out to get me. And it's like, well, I think Paul would say in Ephesians 2, yeah, you're actually feeling, you're feeling what he's talking about. You're feeling how hard things are. And here's the thing, it's like super negative. It's not all happy, but it's refreshing, I think. It's refreshing to be told the truth, right? A great doctor doesn't be like, well, I could give you a true diagnosis, but it's negative, so let's just talk about happy things, right? You'd be like, no, please, like, speak the truth to me. I need to hear it. Because typically you resonate with it. You're like, yeah, okay, I've been feeling something weird. That makes sense. And that is what Paul is giving us to hear. And by saying, hey, we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The things that have led us to this point, our separation from God, um, does not just kind of go on. It actually leads to wrath and us receiving the wrath of God. And that's, uh, I started feeling that very acutely when I was in high school and in college. I just knew, it, you could have come up with me like, oh, Tim, you're feeling wrong things. I'd be like, no, you cannot convince me otherwise. I know there's a God because of my sin. I know that I'm living in a way that a holy God sees everything I'm doing. He has a better way for me. I love my sin though and I don't want to stop. Oh, and by the way, I hate my sin, and I want to stop. And somehow, could I stop this? You know, like I was feeling all of that at the same time. A holy God saw my, whole, a holy God saw my unholy life, and what I deserved was punishment and wrath. The prince of the power of the air cheers when we feel wrath. He desires death for all. With a strong work ethic in a small town, I actually had a guy call me last week that uh, some of our core team are trying to find jobs in the area, and uh, a guy called me as a, as, a, to, as a reference, and he said, oh, you're Tom Kimberly's son, huh? And I was like, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And he was like, well, you guys are good people. And he said, you know, you, uh, if, if, if that guy's connected with Tom Kimberly, then like, he's a good, good guy and we should hire him, you know? And there's a part of me that was like, we're not good people. <laughs> like, no, we are not. Yeah, my dad, like, mainly has integrity. And, and, but, like, he is a fallen man in his flesh, and there are no good people, you know? But, like, when you have a reference, it's hard to be like, you have any idea how terrible the person is that you're <laughs> looking to hire right now, you know? But, like, that, in a deep way, that's, that's real, right? And then, verse 4, um, if we don't embrace verses 1 through 3, verse 4 doesn't change our life. If we don't see the power of 1 through 3, we don't go out of this room on mission. We don't move towards our neighbors on mission. We don't go to places that we might not go to. Any of those things, uh, we're apathetic to it. But if verse 1 through 3 is embraced, we recognize verse 4 and the power that it starts with those first two words, but God. 
But God hated us, walked away from us. We haven't seen him since. That's what we deserve. But God chose to start a new people on a new planet because we're just rotten to the core. All of those things. It's like, well, he's just. That's, he's good. That was all good, good decisions he made. And he does something that is radically different. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he loved us. Really? He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even then. For years, I was like, if I clean myself up enough, he might take me. He might be like, okay, you finally stopped sinning for three months. Come on in. You know, but it's like, no. When we were there, the worst that we could be in that moment, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. You and I were not the ones who made the difference in that verse. We didn't do anything here. It was when we could do nothing. Dead people don't do anything. While being dead, he made us alive in Christ. That's why we can say, by grace you have been saved. By grace we have been saved. Not by good decisions, not by good upbringing. By grace we have been saved. His own love towards us. This is Romans 5.8. This was the verse that opened my eyes and uh, had me bow my knee to Jesus. By God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's like, don't try and clean yourself up. Jesus did all that for you. It's by grace that you're saved. And verse 6, he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is uh, the, in Greek. This is all written in Greek originally. In, uh, in, there's, it's, it's an aorist is like the form of the verb that's used here. And it, it can connote or communicate in some ways that it happened in the past almost. Like it's like this is such a guaranteed deal that I'm just going to speak of it in the past because it's so sure to happen in the future, which is that he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The riches of his grace towards us who cost his son his death, the riches of his grace towards us cannot be measured. I can measure a billion dollars, right? He's like, yeah, there's no humans have the ability to measure the riches of the grace that Jesus has towards us in the room and knowing that this is offered to every small town, every big town in South Dakota and in Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. It will take a whole other age. It will take heaven for us to start to grasp the riches they're given to us right now, right here and right now. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
we can't move past verse 8 too quickly because in it is what our response is. Okay? Some theologians have appropriately said the only thing we bring to our salvation, so if I like, have something that I'm bringing with me to my salvation, the only thing I bring to my salvation is my sin. And he brings everything for my salvation, my restoration, my redemption. For by grace you've been saved, but through faith. Okay? That's, there's some um, groups that will say, hey, here's all the classes you have to take. Here's all the money you can take. And once you start climbing the ladder, salvation happens here at this level. And by God's grace, what he said is no. It's faith. Putting your faith in Jesus is what gives you those immeasurable riches, saves you, gives you the hope of everlasting life, has your sins removed as far as the east is from the west. And you're like, well, faith isn't kind of a concept that I think of all the time. And what's been helpful is in the word of God, um, there's a picture that's painted for us of kind of like the anatomy of faith. And I, I want to propose to you three ways to think of faith where together they make faith. And one is knowledge, okay? You have to know this. You have to know what we have just talked about. You have to know that it's in putting your faith in Jesus. You are saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. You can't do anything too bad for that not to be a reality, right? You have to know that. But I would propose to you that Scripture teaches that demons know that. People who hate God know that. They've heard that before. They know that as a sequence of sentences, right? But we do need to know that to have faith. Okay, you have to know that. But then second is to believe it. Okay, it's like, yes, I believe it. Now, there's an interesting thing, though, of like, um, I can believe like, I can know and believe that if I eat, like, a whole tub of ice cream, I'm going to be, like, really sick. I can both know and believe it, and then I can still eat a tub of ice cream, right? Like, it's like, why did you do that? You knew it and believed it. It's like, yes, I did, and I ate the whole tub of ice cream, right? Um, but as we think of something far more <laughs> important um, being salvation is that people can still know and believe it, but not trust, not put their trust in Jesus, okay? Another way that people think about it is through a chair, right? Is like, I can know that chairs, um, like that chair can probably support me, right? And then I can, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I know that's, that seems to be a functional chair. I, I, I believe that chair can support me, but it's not actually until I actually like sit down and lift my feet up a little bit that I am like fully resting all my weight on that chair. And, uh, and this is, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is knowing, knowing, believing, and then trusting, saying, okay, Jesus, here I am. I'm all in. I throw myself at your feet. Thank you for all you've done for me. My faith is in you. My trust is in you. It's the gift of God not a result of works. No one in heaven is like, man, I, I'm so smart. It's, wow, my Savior is so gracious for what he has done for me. It's the gift of God. Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, 
early theologian of, uh, of the early days of America, he's talking about this gift of God, and he says, the gift was infinitely precious. The gift of God was infinitely precious because it was of a person infinitely worthy, a person of infinite glory, and also because it was of a person infinitely near and dear to the Father, to God the Father. And that's what makes this such an infinitely glorious gift that's been given to us. And then verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of what we're hoping to do in rural central Iowa, all that's happening through Connection Church, all that's happening in the places that we'll go from here, workplaces, schools, all of that the Lord has prepared beforehand. Our lives are not a surprise to him. It's not an accident that we're in this room. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in him for good works, which God prepared beforehand. There's a huge comfort in that, that we should just walk it out. He's the coach that has the plan, and we could just walk it out. Resting in him, putting our full weight in him as we seek to see a church planted uh, which proclaims this for a lifetime that outlives us. Church here proclaiming this for a lifetime that outlives us. And um, uh, a part of our logo is uh, we've got a, a two acorns in our logo because uh, you might not know, but the, in the state of Iowa, the white oak tree is um, right there kind of in the middle. The, the oak tree is the, the state tree of Iowa. And so uh, putting the acorns there, what our hope was is that if just, and what's common, I think they found in the Des Moines area, the oldest oak tree in Iowa that was living, and it was like 400 and some years old. And unfortunately, like died like the year after they announced it, which was really sad. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but commonly, oak trees live to be like 300 years in Iowa. And, um, and what our hope was, was that what we'd see through Acts 29, through locking arms with, with each of us, is that what we'd see is it's those acorns planted. And that just like one kid who no one with his last name, which is common in our area, that no one from someone's last name for generations has ever been known to love Jesus and put their trust in Jesus. That if just, and it, the oak trees grow better together. Like, like if you just have one, it's not gonna be as good as multiple. That if we have two, three kids even that put their trust in Jesus and first in their family, that could have a 300 year influence in the life of our community. And that's our prayer uh, and why we, we even have that there is to remind ourselves that, uh, that that's what we're, we're heading towards. That's what we're praying towards. And, and if you're in the room and uh, you walked in without putting your trust in Jesus, um, I would just, I would really encourage you to at least ask someone to pray with you that God may be having you here right now. You might want to process it more with somebody, but he may be having you here right now for this reason and to set you free in ways that you, you can't even understand right now, but you will in the days and the weeks to come. And for all of us, just I, I pray that our heart's intent would be Paul's heart intent, that, that we want to know nothing in our community compared, in comparison, nothing like we know Jesus Christ and him crucified.
And the more we move into that, the more we'll move into all the areas that the Lord is redeeming. That's why we call the church Sacred Mission Church, is because if you live in rural Iowa, sometimes you might think like, man, is like, is, is that happening here? And realizing that Jesus himself is the one that's building his church. And so we named it that with the idea that Jesus himself is on a sacred mission to rural central Iowa, and we actually just get to be a part of it. And that's true here in Sioux Falls as well. So, so could we pray together? Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. Lord, I thank you that um, this is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. We can just look around and see the stories of you working powerfully in the lives of each other. And Lord, we know that you are alive and well. Jesus, we know that you are a pursuing Savior. You pursue us to the end of the world to have us find our rest in you. And Lord, we just look to you to say, if, if maybe we were excited about your mission six months ago, and for whatever reason, maybe for good reasons happening in our lives, it feels like that's waning, Lord, would you just renew in us these realities we talked about today? Would you renew in us a strong passion for what you're doing in us, in our lives, that even that you speak in the past tense, even that we are seated with you, that is as sure as sure can be. Lord, would you just melt our hearts in this moment, Lord? Would you give us a resolve that even in our weakness, Lord, that we proclaim, we speak, we move towards those who are not moved by you right now, Lord, that you may give us the opportunity to share with them the hopes of everlasting life. Lord, would you just waken us to what you're doing in Iowa, what you're doing in South Dakota for your glory, Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.